Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. I'm a brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today on Obsessed with Design, we've got a special part two interview with Tom Ross from the community Design Cuts. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tom and how he built his community. Okay, guys, I am very excited to welcome back Mr. Tom Ross from Design Cuts all the way from the UK. Tom is back to us for a second round here on our second season of Obsessed with Design. So, Tom, welcome back to Obsessed with Design. Cheers, Josh. Thanks for having me back on and congrats on the second season. That's big. Oh, thank you. We uh, we hit our really big number here a couple weeks ago, crack, uh, cracked the uh, 100,000 downloads oh, nice. ceiling. So that was that was very exciting. And uh, thanks for being a part of that. Oh, no worries. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Good milestone. So <laughs> yes. what did you do to celebrate? Did you pop some champagne or something? Yeah, we did something like that. Uh, I think we mostly just posted graphics of 100,000 on the internet, but um, there's probably, probably a beverage involved somewhere. <laughs> Glad to hear it. So one of the reasons I was excited to have you back on, I think we even said this um, live on your last interview, was I feel like we could spend a lot of time talking about your your community that you've built through the website design cuts. And so I'd like to dig into maybe even a little bit more of just the business perspective of that. And so I'm sure there are lots of our listeners who will be really into that idea. And some of our, our pure designers, even if you think you're not into that, I would challenge you to, to listen into some of the business advice today. So how's that sound? Yeah, that sounds great. And I know that through what we do, we work with a lot of creatives who tend to kind of tread both sides so um you know we work with bloggers and people who run a freelance business and so i think it's surprising actually how many designers and creatives experience some level of business so hopefully it's going to be relevant yeah absolutely and um you know we we spoke with a guy named chris doe uh, a couple weeks back also one of our early season two guests who also runs a community so we're we're definitely um seeing a little bit of a trend here in in these popping up and having success. But, you know, we talked about you personally last time. I'm curious what the origin story for Design Cuts is, if that was what you sought to make or kind of how how that community grew up in the first place. Yeah, sure. So it started like any community, very, very small, very bare bones. We, um, you know, we didn't have any investment we never have there, there was kind of nothing it was really a standing start and so i think that's what's core because that's where most people are is whether they're trying to grow a business or their freelancing career or even their social media profiles i think a lot of people feel stuck that they are getting no traction and they either lose patience or they give up hope or whatever and i think it's important to note that everyone's there at some point and yeah, hopefully today. I mean, I'm happy to be very transparent about how to grow a lot of that stuff up. And it, it certainly isn't easy. Um, a lot of stuff we can dig into is, I think, common sense, but it's just the, the execution and the hard work that kind of uh, goes into backing that up. But as I say, Design Cuts itself, that was like, you know, from nothing. So <laughs> there was no kind of piggybacking <laughs> on a, a past project or anything. So what year was it that you... Um 
actually launched Design Cuts? Um, so it was 2013. 2013. And then how long had you been working on it prior to pushing it live? Uh, it was about six months, I think, but just a crazy, crazy six months. And was that your full-time focus as you were building it? Or was that, um, you know, one of many things that you were juggling at the time? Uh, yeah, I pretty much went all in on it, to be honest. Um, we, we had a plan. So even though we went from nothing, we knew that we wanted to give it our best shot and build something really big. So I, I just went all in um, on that and, and pretty much gave myself enough of a buffer that I you know, could do without taking a salary and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was a bit younger at the time. I think I, I think I was still, yeah, I was still living at home with parents and that kind of thing. So I realize everyone listening is going to be in a different position, but I would say do what you can to kind of live within your means. And you'd be surprised at what, what you can do on very little money and, and just kind of allocate that time and your effort into grafting and working. So step number one for building a design community is to move back in with your parents. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> can get more inspiring than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad that uh, that worked out very conveniently for you to have the, you know, the rough time of starting and building and having that safety net. I think that's that's great. Yeah, I think it's important to note that not everyone is in some incubator in San Francisco or something. There's people starting amazing businesses and communities and careers all over the world in all different kinds of circumstances. And something we talk about on our podcast is, you know, people do it all kinds of different ways. It's not like there's one path. So, um, you know, if it, whatever your situation, there's probably someone who, who's made that work for them. So when you were getting design cuts off the ground, um, what did success look like to you and what were some of your goals as you launched it? Honestly, we, we didn't have like a hard and fast business plan. So uh, I, again, I think that stems to, you know, coming from quite humble, organic roots, not really having, well, having no investors, have, having nothing like that. So really it was, we're going to put everything we can into this thing. We're to an extent going to hope for the best, but we're just going to do it with the right intentions. And then obviously like the the better it does, the happier we're going to be. But we, we didn't even have milestones in terms of, well, if it reaches this, we'll be happy. And if it reaches this, we'll be really happy. Um, it literally was, let's just um, see where we can take it. And then luckily we hit traction pretty early on. So as it started to take off, it was more about um, just trying to push that momentum. And I actually think that's more realistic. I think, I think business plans or certainly projected income uh, prior to launch can be a bit of a fallacy. So really, I think the important thing is trying to find a way to find traction. And then once you start getting that momentum, it's just about kind of holding on for dear life and uh, going along for the ride. At any point, have you kind of set these goals or milestones or user counts or targets for for the community? Or is it just something that you let grow organically and, and just see what happens. Yeah, I think people might be surprised to hear anyone who's familiar with the site that we are actually not crazily organized on that front. And I have historically, and I still am pretty happy with that because it lets us focus on what's really important. And if we were chasing the next milestone or whatever, 
metric uh, that might be. I mean, obviously, we have metrics within our business and we constantly try and improve things. But I think that's what it's about. It's more about continuous improvement and just trying to push all the right things. Um, if you're trying to only think about hitting the next metric of signups and that becomes your key thing to focus on, I think a lot of things can fall by the wayside. And, and that's something that I've unfortunately, I've seen that in a few other businesses and it can be quite dangerous. I think the fact that we have gone so all in on community and quality and the kind of pillars of what we do and put those ahead of um, everything else and any specific goals, everything else kind of falls secondary. But, you know, luckily that, that seems to work out for the community and the business as a whole. Uh, rather than us just chasing the targets and kind of the really important stuff suffers. What do you feel like are, um, and you know, I certainly won't ask you to be open book or anything with us, but what are some of the most mm -hmm. important metrics that you guys look at on a, on a regular basis and tell us about, you know, how regular is regular? Is that like by the day or monthly or quarterly or annually? Like how often are you guys checking into these metrics and, and what, What's most important to you? Uh, well, obviously, as a business, revenue and profit from a business perspective are, are kind of the key ones. And then you'll get smaller metrics within those, of course, which let you tweak those accordingly. But really, we ch <laughs> this does sound like I'm being evasive, but I promise I'm not. It's just how we run things. Our aim really is more on innovation um, and pushing new features and fostering the community. I think to an extent, that's something we're getting more and more into. So we are, as we scale, we're being forced to look more closely at the data and to track things. But certainly historically, very, very kind of macro um, metrics, which we look after. And, and we're not getting too bogged down in endless data mm -hmm. because ultimately, I think data should be a tool to kind of inform what you're doing. Absolutely. But if you're just sat looking at data all day, then you're not really building anything. Uh, the, the, there's, sorry, Josh, there's probably a lot of data people listening there just cringing. Um, but, you know, it, it's worked for us so far. <laughs> so tell me about maybe just from the, the members standpoint, what what has the growth of that looked like over time? And and where do you feel like you've gotten uh, been able to attract the most of the right members? Currently, we are relatively small, but again, it's it's more about community and it's more about engagement. So I think the numbers are actually meaningless because either one of us could put a thing on our site saying sign up and get a chance to win a free iPad. And we could, I'm sure like 10 X our membership, but that's an entirely, entirely meaningless number. Um, so we're currently sat over 150,000 members, which is, you know, it's, it's a decent size, but it's by no means huge. But what we do have is a membership that is incredibly engaged and, and passionate about what we offer. And that's the key thing. And I think that's what everyone listening should aim for. It's really is about quality over quantity. And that's something I got mixed up in for many years. Cause if you're trying to learn this stuff originally and you're trying to learn the business and marketing, there's so many people preaching bad advice and most people preach that it is in fact quantity. And that's just nuts because it leads to very dissatisfactory results or unsatisfactory rather. <laughs> um, and that's something that I'd chased previously. So I'd had, I'd had bigger audiences um, we, with, you know, blogs having lots and lots and lots of readers. 
but they were much lower quality because I was chasing those those big kind of wide numbers just to say I had a big audience. But really, when it came to crunch time, and I was trying to convert them into customers or run an engaged community or build anything meaningful beyond just having a lot of traffic, it fell flat. So with Design Cuts, it's, it's very much been the flip side of that, where what we are chasing is true depth and community. And that has much more longevity than just going for the biggest membership number we possibly can. Well, maybe you could unpack a little bit more about how you feel like you've built true depth and community. And I guess maybe I'll qualify with 150,000 members is, is fantastic. I think that's certainly not a tiny group and it's not, it's not like you have an audience who just accidentally showed up and signed up and forgot about it. You've got, (laughs) that's a, that's a large, a large chunk of, of users. So, um, first of all, congrats on that, but I want to know a little bit about, you know, it's clear that the quality is more important to you than the quantity and attracting the right, the right kinds of users and the right kinds of members and, building up the community in a positive way is, is far more important than just adding to the numbers. And I'm sure there are so many ways that you could just dial up the numbers if that's all that mattered, but yeah, like we could have a million members right now if we wanted to. Yeah, I guess, but give me some examples of, of how you feel like maybe some specifics of, of where you think um, you keep that quality filter really high and, and what you're, what you do to challenge yourself to keep it in that position. Yeah, sure. So um, I think something a lot of people do is they try and go for the low hanging fruit. So they will do whatever they can to attract members, usually in the form of freebies and stuff like that. And we have historically provided freebies to reward our existing community rather than to get more people to join us. It's actually to the point where I'm so obsessed with engagement that I that it bugs me when people sign up to get freebies. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And to to anyone listening, like if they signed up to get a freebie and they're part of the community, of course they are welcome. But what I mean by that is it's never been our goal to put out a bunch of freebies and just try and like lure people into signing up. And the metrics don't lie. Um, anyone who runs an online business will see that the people who sign up by a referral or something like that are about 100 times more valuable for them as a business than someone who signs up for a freebie. So... I believe that referral is the absolute key, and this can come in several forms, but obviously one of those is word of mouth. So if you reallocate your efforts into treating your current customers so incredibly well that they tell their friends, then for every person they refer, that is much more valuable than you getting 100 random people who just stumbled across a freebie, signed up to get that, and then never engaged with you ever again. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed any particular... Um, offer or entry point or driver like what what's the main thing that attracts uh, new visitors or new users to the site Um, well I think genuinely having incredible products is a key part of that and I think again it's a shift in mindset so most people think oh I need to offer a freebie because I can't just pitch my product and so I'll sucker them in with the freebie and then I try and upsell and a tiny percentage of those people I suck it in are going to convert to buy. But if your product is truly good enough, then there is no problem attracting people with that in the first place because you're providing such exceptional value that they get a return on whatever money they pay you. 
So I don't think people should shy away from simply using their core product offering as a kind of magnet for attracting new people. I think that's actually very healthy because it attracts, um, you know, buyers and attracts higher quality members in the process. Do your, um, do your members have the opportunity to also contribute to the community? And, and if so, in what ways? Um, they do, although this is something which we're working on building out much more right now. Um, but yeah, we have these kind of like pockets within the community. So we launched a Facebook group this year and that's getting really nice and active and people are kind of helping out, out each other within that quite a lot. Even down to like our comment sections tend to explode quite a lot and people kind of start chatting within those. So mm-hmm. you do, you, you get kind of all these micro ways which people can engage with each other, but we are absolutely looking at building better platforms, uh, message boards and so on for people to engage with one another. Is it the kind of thing where they, you know, are, are the people who are part of your community, are they more likely to just show up when they're looking for a product or a thing or do they, kind of get on the site and the platform and, and just hang out and, you know, take in multiple things at a time or what do you track things like the total time on site? And I mean, maybe talk through that a little bit for me. Yeah, sure. So whilst I am not a fan of, uh, using primarily lead magnets to attract members, I am a fan of trying to provide value for your existing community. And so, we have things like we have a learn section um, and that's got all kinds of content going into it. So everything from written tutorials to video tutorials to our regular podcast to a vlog series following uh, a very talented designer, Joe, who works with us and she's growing up her business and showing a behind the scenes look. And so I think all of that stuff definitely helps just provide as much value as you can to your community and then if you're bringing that down to a base metric level then yeah of course that helps with retention and time on site and recurring visits and things of that nature Mm -hmm. so looking um towards new members and new visitors how do you get the word out about new products so you said it's it's the new products or the things that or what really attract people there? Is it just an organic search play? Are you guys doing more search marketing? Are you doing more social media or YouTube? Or what What do you feel like is, has been most beneficial for you over time? Yeah, it's a, a collection of things, really. Um, the organic thing is not to be underestimated because that has really led to the biggest upside, I think. Uh, I mean, we've get we get people who are they're not on commission or anything, but they are just screaming from the rooftops about what we're offering. They're sharing it with their friends. They're sharing it in Facebook groups that they're part of. Um, but we have also built up very strong social profiles. We do have a good engaged community on Facebook in particular, mm-hmm. and so that's very much helped to kind of get traction. And uh, yeah, our, our membership base is the key. I mean, if that's kind of like the the catalyst, when we can send out an email blast to them and we can let them know about a new thing, that's where it really kind of catches on and, and then spreads from there. So I would say that that is really the backbone of it. And again, that's predicated on everything we're talking about. That's why it's so powerful to have a real community instead of just a big faceless list of people who you don't really know and who don't really care about you. So for your, your content and all the products, are those all things that are produced by the Design Cuts team or is that coming from a variety of sources or how do you go about sourcing all of that content? 
Yeah, we actually, uh, we do produce some ourselves, but the majority, we just work with many of the greatest designers on the planet, which is a real privilege. And we're lucky enough to call many of them friends now. And we're very, very selective with who we partner with and who we work with. So our whole ethos is, you know, why would we work with the 99% instead of just working with the 1% who are truly the most talented and the best in the industry? And that I think that's been really core, just the fact that we are so picky and so selective. And sometimes it can be tough kind of saying no or or kind of telling people to circle back to you in six months when they've, they've built things up a bit more, perhaps improved. But I think having that kind of strict bar of quality has been really uh, instrumental in our success. Again, so you don't have to share the details of this if it's too personal, but I'm curious for with some of the designers that you work with, um, when you bring on one of their products, is that something that you basically are selling it on consignment of sorts? So you just sort of mark it up when when the community uses it, then they get paid a little bit, or do they get like a flat fee for having it on the site, and then you just kind of have a simpler way of looking at it? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm very happy to elaborate on this stuff. It's actually it's quite a standard uh, practice. It's quite a standard model. So essentially the designers love creating stuff and then they don't necessarily love the business side such as the customer service such as technical queries and the marketing and distribution so really it's about helping each other out so they produce amazing products and then we help distribute it to a much wider audience and help them with their sales and then you essentially split the revenue uh, that way Mm-hmm. And as I say, there's there's several people doing this and a lot of our designers, they don't exclusively work with us and that's not something that we ask or require of them. So they will work with perhaps other marketplaces and other websites and that's completely fine. But our focus is working with less people so that we have more resources to treat them better. We're essentially not spreading ourselves too thin. It, we could work with 100 times the number of people we work with but then we wouldn't be able to kind of provide a personal service. So by working with a smaller core group of people, we feel we can look after them better. So I wonder if um, this may be the same answer as I may have asked you this question last time, but remind me how large your team is at Design Cuts. So I need to do a quick head count here because we're, we're kind of in a process of growing right now. Um, but yeah, it is it's about 10 people right now. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And then what are, um, what are all the roles that are involved with those 10? So it's pretty standard stuff. We have social media, we have customer service, we have people working on the product team. Uh, we work with a few designers remotely and things of that nature. We have video and audio covered. We've got a developer, um, in house. So it's, it's a, a lot of the, the key kind of areas, which you might expect, but, I am very, very proud of the team we've got. And I think that's essential. It's when everyone's kind of getting behind the same mission. And when you're able to impart that that bar of quality and, and that level of care and people really buy into that, that's that's pretty amazing to see. And that there's people now who are on the team who actually have exceeded my ridiculously high standards to the point <laughs> where if I try and like cover for them when they're on holiday, they're like, no, like you're you don't know how to do this as well as I do now. And that's kind of the dream. Yeah, I think that's uh, maybe one of my favorite things is when something gets done at the office and I didn't know that it was happening and I just got done and it was great. <laughs> yeah. I think that's about the best feeling ever. 
yeah, and just being able to take your hands off the reins of it because otherwise for any uh, managers or anyone trying to grow stuff up right now, like you never want to become the bottleneck. And I think that's very common because particularly a lot of creatives, they're perfectionists and they think no one else can do it better. Mm, right. But something I do say about delegation is when you do it right, once it's in place, you could never dream like it becomes unimaginable to go back to the way it was. Yeah. You ever find that? So you, you get all the systems in place and things obviously get better. And then you think, oh man, if I went back to how things were six months ago, I'd go crazy. Like, how did I ever manage that? I've, I've talked to other um, designers or, you know, managers before. And I think one of the, one of the biggest frustrations professionally is when you have offloaded a task and you've got somebody else who's doing a great job at it. And, you know, oftentimes I am proud to say they're doing a better job than, than I would have done myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then once it comes back to you or if it ever does, that's, I think that's a, a really big source of frustration that yeah. um, you just weren't expecting to ever see that task again. And now it's back on your plate. Well, you shouldn't ideally. Right. Something's gone wrong if that happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, even in, in the uh even in the short term example that you gave of, you know, somebody's on holiday. Yeah. Um, I had the uh <laughs> for this week's episode, for any of you uh who haven't listened to this one already, go ahead and check this out. We did one that was sort of a greatest hits episode where I played a few clips from five different great female graphic designers who I just had some great advice from. So that episode came down to the wire and I was finally doing the production work over the weekend and we always publish the show on a Monday. And so my editor was kind enough to be willing to jump in and do the, the editing still. But one of my account managers usually helps out with, with entering all the information. And I had told her, Hey, don't, don't sweat it. It's last second and it's totally my fault. So I'll just do that over the weekend. And, uh, I hadn't even logged into that portion of Libsyn in, you know, in months, maybe over a year. And at first I was a little bit paralyzed. I was like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Luckily I figured it out. You know, the story ended well, the episode aired, it actually launched on time, no hitches, but <laughs> well, this you know, I noticed one or two little things that I did wrong, but it was, it was actually just the very, uh, most, the most recent episode to this one. So it's terrible. You feel like a fish out of water in your own thing that you've built, but that, that is really what should happen. And that's a good sign of scale. Although I would say this is something we've had to learn the hard way, but really this year we've started building in much better systems to avoid what you just described. So we will set up internal wikis and guides documenting how everyone does the uh, minutiae of their jobs. So, you know, if tomorrow I got hit by a steamroller, at least people could dig into them and it might take them a while to get familiar, but at least there would be a reference to what I've been doing instead of it all being in my head. Mm, right. And by the way, the steamroller sounds pretty gruesome. Yeah, it's, um, it's what popped <laughs> in my mind because one of my co-directors always uses that example. It's always, <laughs> what if you got hit with a steamroller? So I, I don't know, maybe he's planning on renting one and sort of hmm. trying, to, trying to take over my shareholding or something. I regularly use bus, but um, steamroller somehow <laughs> seems more gruesome, just seems slower. <laughs> I'm just thinking of uh, the dad in Malcolm in the Middle now, if you ever saw that episode. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> favorite character yes he's awesome 
I think that show is loosely based on my childhood. <laughs> okay, so dare I ask, which one were you? Uh, I might have been a combination of them. So I've I've got one brother and one sister, and I feel like the three boys together kind of embodied embodied mm-hmm. us. <laughs> so the other question I have is around your um, your podcast. So tell us a little bit about you know does does the whole team from Design Cuts also work on the podcast or is that a completely separate group? No, it's the same team. Um, or that's not the whole team. So it's really, it's a couple of team members, which kind of help out with that process, but that's been a really fun project. And that was purely done again, a very organic way. There was no big business plan. I can't remember how much detail we got into last time about the podcast, but so stop me if, if, please, if I do repeat myself, but it literally started as an an organic kind of chat therapy session between myself and and some of our designer friends uh, who I kind of knew on a personal level. And we would just just jump on and kind of call it a mastermind and help each other out and dig into business stuff and share what we're struggling with. Mm -hmm. And then we basically just agreed. We're like, oh, well, this would be really helpful for other people. And I'm sure we could sell this, but we had no intention on selling it or marketing it. We were like, why don't we just put it out there for free and see what happens? So we started doing that. And then we, um, I think we, we recorded some of the screen and we started posting it as like hour long videos on Facebook and and that kind of thing. And then we thought, well, who's going to sit and watch an hour long video on Facebook? Mm -hmm. This will work better as a podcast. So then we launched it as a podcast. We had no idea what we were doing, but we cobbled it together. And, you know, just kept kind of putting out content and trying to tweak it and get better. And, and we're still figuring it out, to be honest. But, you know, we're here and it's a quarter of a million downloads later and it's still early days. And it's one of the most fun projects that I've ever done. Yeah, that's awesome. And how many how many episodes in is the podcast? Um, I believe I can have a quick look, but I believe it's 25 or something. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, 25. Thanks, man. Do you feel like you have a lot of, I, I guess I would imagine you have a lot of overlap between the audiences from the podcast and the community. Do you think that's the case? Yeah, I hope so. And it's actually, I don't know if you found this, but it's been one of the things that's triggered people to be more vocal mm-hmm. because I think it's so personal and it has that depth of engagement that over and above anything else, all four of um, the hosts, including myself, we will get not just emails via our websites, but we get Instagram messages and stuff like that. And it always is about the podcast. If we made someone laugh or if we helped them (laughs) or just uh, tell us that they're loving it. And you've probably found you don't tend to get that with many other things. It's like people can admire perhaps some design work you've done, but they're not going to connect on such a deep human level as opposed to like an in-depth discussion or getting to know the people and the characters behind what you're doing. Yeah, I think that's totally true. It's, um, it's kind of wild that, um, when you bump into people or get those, those messages about how a conversation touches somebody or how it opened up their mind, to how to look at something differently, or even just the, Oh man, I thought I was the only one dealing with that. And it was so great to hear that you're talking to this, you know? Yeah. I, I, I love those, actually. We've had a lot of people empathizing. Um, and yeah, exactly those words. They're like, I thought I was the only one. 
And that's really cool to hear because I guess the original therapeutic nature of the chats for the four of us has kind of flowed out into giving a lot more people solace in, in what they're struggling with. Yeah, we joke all the time that um, what we do on the branding side, that when we do these initial discovery conversations, that it's, it's really a lot like therapy <laughs> because we're, we're just having conversations with people about what they want to accomplish and why they're not there and what their challenges <laughs> look like. And Do you find it helps you, though? Because just through talking this stuff out, I think certainly you know the four of us doing our show have become less miserable <laughs> <laughs> because in the early days like you know we, we love what we were doing but we were getting really stressed by parts of it and just through talking it out it's like oh well you know i'm not alone uh, there's at least three other people here who empathize and when you get the listeners kind of saying the same thing it's like oh, well we're all, all in the same boat and it just gives you perspective i think i mean i would seriously i would advocate anyone listening whatever you do whether you're a graphic designer or you work for an agency or you know you're starting a freelance business i think there is no harm in putting out a podcast and the worst that could happen is you learn some new skills in the process you pick up a handful of listeners and you learn something about yourself and the best thing is you know it takes off and really resonates with people and you don't know what doors that could open yeah absolutely or, or am i giving us both more competition potentially here josh <laughs> you shot, know what? shot us in the foot I don't think there's anything right now that's growing faster than, than the number of podcast shows out there. And I, I yeah, think if you and I good. want to take comfort in the fact of the competition, I don't think there's anything that dies faster than podcast shows. <laughs> there are lots of them starting. What, in terms of people giving up, you mean? Yeah, they'll do like one or four episodes and then they'll just quit. So, yeah. But, but I, yeah, I welcome more of these actually, uh, Another yeah, friend of absolutely. mine who's launched a show recently, um, I know he's getting ready to do season two, and he was talking about all the ways that he wanted to differentiate the show, which I think is great. But also, I don't think that that the the world of podcast listeners are only listening to my show or his or yours. <laughs> you know, I think there's there's lots of other design. And, and if they're not, they should be, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and get out there and try some other stuff. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's... Not a question I plan to ask you, but um, what other shows are you really into right now? What other podcasts do you listen to? This is going to sound terrible, but pretty much none. And I, I only listen to a bit of yours because <laughs> so awesome. see, this is terrible. Like um, I, I listened to a bit of yours, which is great, but I only did that to kind of give me context before first coming on. And the truth is, I am literally too busy. Um, I am trying to allocate my time to putting out content rather than consuming it. And that's not just podcasts. That's, I, I used to spend hours reading blog posts and watching videos and I pretty much am consuming nothing right now because it's that busy and wow. maybe I'm missing out and I'm sure I am missing out on like some information and, and useful tips somewhere, but yeah, you, something has to give. Well, I can I can definitely appreciate that. I'm um <laughs> I'm still laughing that that literally none, but um what, a terrible <laughs> I don't think it's terrible. It just shocked me. <laughs> I I'm curious then, like what other you know, are you a, a blog reader? Are you a you know, television watcher, movies, radio, Spotify? Mm -hmm. Like what's what's kind of your go to when you're not 
you know, producing content and working on the business? What are you, what are you digging into? So I would say Netflix has crept back into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my kind of chilled time. But I am not exaggerating when I say for the first 18 months, two years of design cuts, I consumed literally nothing. So every single moment was spent either eating and there wasn't a lot of that going on. Uh, <laughs> quick, 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 quick session in the gym and every other waking minute was working on the business. Like there was no TV, no content, like just nothing. It was like that relentlessly focused. Now as it's kind of matured a bit, you know, I'm trying to find a bit more balance. So, you know, I will watch the odd movie, go to the cinema occasionally, watch Netflix with my girlfriend and all of that normal stuff. And that's that's been pretty nice to get that back. But I I never want to sugarcoat it for people. I I think if we're talking about, about business today, I truly believe that the concepts are pretty simple and it's the work and the grind that's difficult because it's as simple really as build a great product, differentiate, treat your customers incredibly well, try and foster a, a loyal community. Like that stuff is pretty simple um, in principle, but when it's a case of pulling all nighters, getting back to people on email or trying to think outside the box or just putting in ridiculous hours and giving up any kind of social life and having to explain to your partner and your friends why you're not barely seeing them at all. Mm-hmm. Like that's the tough bit. I don't know if you've kind of experienced that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. So my, um, I started my company on paper in 2002, uh, started it full time in 2003. And, uh, I spent, uh, I was telling somebody the first week that I went full time that I played golf twice that week. And I was like, man, this is pretty easy. I got some work done. I built some clients. I played golf twice. And that <laughs> might be the last two times that I played golf. As you know, you know, when you get not only passionate about something, but to do it right and to do it at, at the level of excellence that you want to as an owner, mm-hmm. it's so tough to just step away from it that even I found that I would catch myself even monkeying with stuff that I didn't need to do because there's things that were just on my, on my someday list. So I'd be mm-hmm. focused on doing that to a fault. And if anything, that's, I feel like that's one of the things that I've, I've corrected a little bit here just in the last year to yeah. leave a little bit more white space for, for life and for family stuff and making sure that when the weather's nice, that I've got, got room <laughs> to go out and enjoy it. Yeah. And you have to, um, I mean, really, it's about what you want, but certainly I, I need that balance. And I think most people do. But I do think for anyone who is aspiring to do it or in the process of doing it and it's not working, I do think you should stop and have a reality check because I don't know anyone who's built anything of scale or note who hasn't just put in ridiculous sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it just seems to be a, pr- a prerequisite of it all. And I, I thought I knew hard work before this. Like I, I really, really didn't. It was just next level. It was quite literally a hundred percent of effort into that thing. And there's no room for anything else. And I think a lot of people, when they say like, Oh, that would be nice. Like I'd love to run a business or I'd love to do that. It's like, well, fine. Like the blueprint is there. Like I can tell you exactly what to do, but I guarantee you're not willing to do it. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. If someone wanted to be Mr. Olympia, it's like, well, you kind of know what you need to do. 
but you are not going to be willing to put in that level of sacrifice that consistently and never deviate. <laughs> right. You have to now live at the gym. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to eat like eight tons of the most boring food imaginable, shovel it into your face and spend the rest of the time in the gym and use whatever other substances that might be necessary and <laughs> supplements and all the rest of that and have, have no social life and don't go and have a, a beer with your friend. Like, and then when you, when you give people that reality, it's like, well, okay, suddenly they don't want that goal quite so bad. And it's the same thing with creative and creativity and with business, I think. Yeah. I think without a doubt, it's, um, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I'm glad I didn't fully understand when I started it because I probably wouldn't have ever started it. And if I had never started it, I would have always had this, this empty place of like, Hmm, I just wish I would have tried that thing. Why didn't I take the risk when I could? And, um, so glad I did it, but Holy cow. Yeah. The upsides are tremendous as well, right? Like it's, it's the most rewarding thing ever, but I think it was Steve jobs. who said, um, that, you have to be crazy to do it because why would any sane person put themselves through it? He put it more eloquently than that, but yeah, he pretty much said he was like, you, you can't be normal and do it because like on paper, it just makes no sense why you would put yourself through that. So maybe shifting gears a little bit, what, what do you feel like is next on the roadmap for, for design cuts and or the podcast? What are some of the things that you want to change or add or are looking forward to here? as we move into the second half of 2017? Yeah, so we're actually in a process of embracing our roots more than ever. And I've talked to a few of our partners and designers about this, and they're really stoked to hear that because I think it can be very easy to be led astray. Like As you get bigger, you, you can lose track of those original pillars of, of what you care about. And we're actually we're just trying to play the long game. We really are. There's, um, I don't know if you know a company called Wistia. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Video company, right? So anyone listening, I would recommend checking them out, you know, purely from a creative point of view. If you, if you use video, they're awesome, but I also love everything about their brand and their business and they're very much long game. You know, they're, they're not chasing the next quarter. They're chasing the next 10 years. And that does seem to map out in their culture and their decision-making. And so what we're trying to do in the imminent future is actually think back to, you know, what has always worked for us and, and the things which we care the most about. And we're trying to go even more all in on those. So, yes, we're going to continue to iterate things like the UI and we're going to make it easier to browse things. And we're going to tweak kind of technical bits like that. But really at the heart of what we're going to be doing in the next year, it's going to be embracing the community. It's going to find ways to scale the wow factor, which is, um, you know, the entire foundation of everything we've built. And I don't think scale has to detract from that. I actually think when you have the team and you have better systems in place and you can automate certain things that lets you do those kind of wonderful moments at a greater scale than you ever could before you had that structure in place. Nice. So yeah, I'm excited if, if you can't tell from that. <laughs> I am like, I, I, I would be so bored if it was like, well, next quarter we uh, plan to hit these metrics and we're going to be looking primarily at this functionality. It's like, like that stuff kind of happens alongside the core purpose for us. Like, you know, next, next quarter, like we're going to rock our customers faces up. <laughs> 
next quarter we're gonna rock our customers' faces off. I like it. <laughs> I think that's a that's a good vision statement right there. <laughs> you know, we couldn't get out of the uh the interview without asking you this. I know you've already answered this question for me, but I'm curious if it's changed at all. But um I asked you last time what you thought you were most obsessed with right now. Mm, in terms of what in general life or in design or content yeah any of those things are fair game whatever whatever's top of mind when i ask you what you're most obsessed with what would you say that is Mm, that is a that is a real good question i wish i come better prepared (laughs) um i I can't do you remember my answer from last time i don't want to be (laughs) i just listened to it again this morning and i'm not sure i could tell you exactly what you said okay there you go nice and vague (laughs) um I would say it's it's quite a boring answer, but I would say from a uh, business perspective, I am pretty obsessed with fixing things at the minute, and that is a little bit lame. But honestly, it's it's been a real good learning curve for me, and I would advocate anyone building a team or growing a business to do this, where you just sit everyone down around you and say, "Moan to me." It's like tell me everything that's broken in what you're doing, and then just go firefighting and try and fix stuff because when you allocate that upfront and do actually try and fix the problems, it's going to benefit you a lot moving forward. Is that the answer I gave last last time? I can't remember. No, I think that's totally different. Um, and I'm curious, do you guys use like a bug tracking software or some way to track what all those quote unquote fixes are? Yeah, we do with certain things, but I'm talking more on a human level. Oh, okay. So, cool. so you work with people and if, if they sit down, it's like, you know what, this is making me miserable or this is illogical or this seems really broken in terms of my daily work and what I'm doing, it just seems like, uh, inefficient. Then I think it's not naturally what I gravitate towards, but I'm really enjoying learning that side of things and being able to focus on it because it has real like profound impacts when you're able to say, well, you know what, we just automated that or we tweaked that and suddenly it saved you an hour and a half every day of your working life. It's pretty cool to see the, the uh, reaction that you get out of your team with that stuff. Well, very cool. I'm glad I asked for the clarification on that because I totally took your answer the wrong way. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, Tom, it's been great talking to you again. And um, maybe just remind everybody, for those of you who didn't listen to the first episode with Tom, we'll definitely give you at the end of the show here which episode number that was and where to find it on iTunes. But in the meantime, Tom, please tell our listeners where they can find you and the podcast and everything else on the interwebs. Yeah, sure thing. So I am actually, I'll give you my Instagram right now because that's kind of a you know funnel that'll lead you to the other stuff I'm working on. But I would say go to Tom Ross Media and that's Ross, R-O-S-S. So Tom Ross Media on Instagram and hit me up on there and genuinely ask me anything about business or design and I will personally help you guaranteed. And yeah, from there, like if you want to check out Design Cuts, you want to check out the podcast, happy days. But yeah, I just, you know, more than happy to try and provide as much value, answer any questions or elaborate on anything for, for anyone listening. Excellent. Well, Tom, I appreciate you taking some time to catch up with me again. And, uh, thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that is episode number 78 in the books. Do me a favor this week and be sure and tell somebody, you know, about the show. And the next time you're on Twitter, Let us know who you think we should interview next. I'm at Josh Miles, and we are at Obsessed Show. 
Sign up for my email to get my thoughts on brand strategy delivered to your inbox at milesherndon.com slash josh. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Hope you're digging that new music on the intro and the outro. And thanks as always to Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company. Visit BrassyBroad.com to learn more about what she's up to. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.